Second Peter chapter one, starting in verse twelve, is where we're going to pick up. And how we kind of got here is, you know, we've kind of finished up our Advent series over Christmas. We looked at uh, a varying number of texts. We looked at joy, and we looked at uh, the last one that we looked at was hope, uh, a sign of hope. We looked at the hope that we find given to us in the manger of Christ, giving not, not giving us this idea of of wishful thinking as as kind of hope is often defined. It's something that we're hoping for, we're wishing will come true. But rather, hope as defined biblically is the expectation of a certain outcome, something good given to us from God, and it's expecting that with confidence to come to pass. It's something that we can rely on. And so as we look at biblical hope, Christian hope, what we're saying is not that we, we wish this to be or there's a chance that it may not happen, but rather that it will come to pass, that we can have confidence in the truth of God's word, of his promises. And so we looked at that. And then we looked at last week, uh, a continuing bit of that in uh, the book of 1 John, as we looked at uh, love and what it means to be a part of the family of God, and we looked at um, the Spirit working within us to testify that we belong to Him. We looked at the victory that we have in Christ and overcoming the world, and this victory is brought about by that sign of hope through the incarnation. It's brought about through His victory at the cross. And so, uh, as we come to the text this morning, then, I wanted to see how... uh, how this has also been on my mind. I've been kind of reading both through uh, 1 John and 2 Peter um, kind of like repeatedly every day for the last couple weeks uh, as part of my daily reading. Uh, and with that, you know, I thought there's some real practical things in here for what it means for those of us who, who do belong to Christ, who are Christians, and here's how we ought to live and how we ought to uh, interact with one another. And so, as we come to the text this morning, this is kind of what I have in mind. As we saw in John's gospel, uh, or in his, his epistle last week, we saw that he instructs us that we have victory in overcoming the world, in the sense, he doesn't say the world in the sense that, like, you know, there's a bunch of people out there who are out to get us, but rather that there are worldly desires that we have. There's temptations. There's things that we are likely to, to fall into, and we can uh, be a people who have victory over those things that are likely con- to control us. We have victory over those things through our faith in Christ, that he reminds us that our identity is in him. And so the validation that the world often asks us to have, to say, here's why I deserve to be here, or why I belong, or how, why I'm important, Uh, the gospel tells us that we are already important because Jesus has set his love upon us. There's a number of things that we find there in 1 John, but as we come to the text this morning, we turn our attention now to one another, how we ought to live as people who are Christians, who are believers. And Peter starts off writing uh, to this group of people uh, to kind of correct some twisted versions of uh, of Christianity. But as he comes to the text here uh, in the beginning, what he's reminding them is that they are to minister to one another as he has ministered to them. Here's what he says uh, in verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So this here is Peter writing to a bunch of Christians 
people who are already believers. And he starts off with this statement, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Now, the first thing that I want you to see here is this, that Peter is an extremely gracious person in this instance, right? He's extremely gracious, and he can be gracious because he has himself been the recipient of grace. Remember, Peter himself was the one who denied Jesus, who Jesus said that there will be a time, Peter, when you will be, uh, where you will be in a place where you will outright deny your connection to me three times. Like, this will happen for certain. And there we find that Peter is gathered around uh, a fire and there are those who oppose Christ who are with him and they say, hey, aren't you the guy that was like with Jesus? And, and Peter, he's like, absolutely not. Like, I'm not with him. He does this three times. So much so that in, at the third time, he uh, lays out what is essentially like this oath and curses God. He's like, no, like I'm absolutely like not a part of him. Like I have nothing to do with him. But yet we find that it's Jesus that continues to pursue Peter. This is the heart of God for people. That even when they are against him, even when they have this attitude, and they're like, oh yeah, like Jesus is crazy. Like people who follow Jesus are crazy. He, he doesn't even care. He, he continues to pursue you because at one time, at one moment, at one point in the future, you may come to the realization that he, his love for you is so deep, so vast so endless, and then you will remind, be reminded that he comes after you even when you don't want him. His love is pursuing you so that you might come into a relationship with him. He's gracious to be kind towards you even when we're thinking that he's crazy, when we don't want him. Peter has received this grace from Jesus as one who denied Jesus, you know, three times at a very pivotal point in Jesus' life, he received this grace from Jesus because Jesus showed up after this denial, after his resurrection, and he appeared to Peter. And he welcomed him into the family of God. He said, Peter, I know. I knew that you were going to do this. I saw that you were going to do this. I told you that you were going to do this. You did it, and then I still love you after, and I'm here to, to welcome you back in, to make you feel like you are a part of my family because you are. Peter has received this grace. He's received this grace. Now, Peter is extending this same grace to Christians this morning. He's extending the same grace, right? Because what he says here is this, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. You see, what he's getting at here is this. If you're a Christian here today, maybe you're not somebody who has lived in a way that reflects God's character. Maybe you're someone who has maybe not denied God in word and said, oh, I don't know him, but your actions show that you don't, that you're far from him, that you're selfish and self-centered, that you want your own way. Peter's writing to a group of people who may be acting this way. But yet he says, I'm going to remind you of who you are. I'm going to remind you of the standards that we have in Christ. I'm going to remind you that you belong to him and the qualities that you have to come to. 
he makes this charitable assumption that I'm only having to remind you because you should know these things already. He's being so generous and kind. And so he opens with these words, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. The purpose of 2 Peter here is to remind them some of what he's taught them already in 1 Peter. And although they already know the truth, although they already know the gospel, he says, we're not ever done learning about the gospel. You see, this is very much the Christian life. We have a level that is Christianity 101. You enter into the Christian life by trusting in Christ for salvation. Not by your own works, not by what you have done, but what Jesus has done. And the most amazing thing about Christianity 101 is as you come in and you understand the truth of the gospel, that your life, your record of, of, uh, in your life of what you have done throughout your life is not perfect. It's not good enough to be in God's presence, to know God, to go and to enter into uh, his heavenly kingdom. Although your record is not good enough, he has given you his record. He so generously said, here's my life. I've lived a perfect life on your behalf. And all you have to do if you want it is to take it from me, to receive my gift from you because I lived a life that's perfect and your life is not perfect, but I've paid for your sin at the cross. I've shed my... I've shed, I've shed that blood, my blood, for you at the cross. And I've been raised on the third day. I've been raised from the dead. And now my life, it can be given to you. You can have my record of perfection. And when God looks on you and he says, what have you done in this life? How have you lived? Why should I allow you to be in my presence? He looks at you not with your record of imperfection, but rather he looks and sees Jesus' record of perfection. Jesus doesn't ask that you pay him any amount of money. He doesn't ask that you work it off over time. He doesn't ask that you uh, do anything to compensate him for this, but rather just to receive that free gift and to walk with him. Why would you not want to be with somebody who loves you so deeply and so generously, who wants to walk with you? Jesus invites us to take hold of this. <coughs> And Peter says, you guys know this. You know the truth. And as you enter in to that Christianity 101, as you believe that, the truth of the gospel is so fundamental, so important, that as you look around and you walk into Christianity 101 class, as you're, as you're entering into the Christian life, as you walk with Jesus, you look around and like everybody who ever started is still there. You're like... Wait, like nobody's moved on to the next class? Because the radical thing about Christianity is there is no next class. It's just one class, Christianity 101. We hear the truth of the gospel. We receive the truth of the gospel. We believe the truth of the gospel. And then we work from the truth of the gospel. This is why Paul explains it so clearly in 1 Corinthians 15. That, you've, that he has... Uh, taught this truth of the gospel. He's proclaimed it. They've heard it. They've received it. They stand in the truth of the gospel. There's nothing to move on to. And so as you look around, the playing field is leveled. No one's better than another person because we are all desperately in need of the work of Jesus. 
And here he says, if you're trying to move on to bigger and better things, you're mistaken. There isn't a bigger and better thing. The fundamentals of the faith are the most glorious thing about the faith. This is why we keep returning to them again and again and again. They're the most glorious thing because they bring glory to Christ. And so we don't need to come to the scriptures and say, well, you know, I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. Well, you're going to keep hearing it because that's all there is. It's Jesus' perfect work. We celebrate it again and again and again. This is what Peter's getting at. He says, I'm reminding you of these things, of the qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. It's the responsibility of Christians to know the truth. It's our task to be setting the truth before each other. Because what happens is sometimes we're walking through the life together and we're on the journey and then you catch someone like looking out the window for too long and they're like, what are you looking at? Like, what's over? There's nothing over there. Like, we're going here. What are you going at over there? We need to remind them we're on task. We're together. We're working together. Look at the glorious truth of the gospel. Peter says, I'm going to remind you of the gospel. The truth, you're established in the truth that you have. He says, I always intend to remind you of these qualities. Now, what in the world is he talking about here with the qualities? Well, if you uh, back up a couple of verses, we read some of these qualities of what we are given in Christ as we belong to Jesus. If you look at uh, 1 Peter, or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says this, His divine power has granted to us all things, all things, not some things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his very precious or his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So we've got this first section where he's saying, as you come to faith, as you walk with him, he, he, his power has given us everything that we need. As we come to faith in Christ, as we enter into Christianity 101, he says, here's what you learn. All things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. His own glory and excellence, right? So we have a standard. We're reminded of the call to the standard of God's glory and his excellence. It's God's glory and his excellence that are the standard. Not your standard, not what you think, but his standard. His glory and his excellence are the standard. And so as we look around within the body of Christ, we're saying, here is the standard. Here is where God wants us to go. Here's how he wants us to live. We are in the process of becoming like him. And so that means, if you're not already aware, how you are is not okay. <laughs> how you are in this life, right away, you're, you're not good enough. That's just how it is. We are in the process of learning God's glory Responding to God's glory and learning to his standard. This is just how it will be. Because we're not God. And we're not intended to be God. We're intended to grow in Christ-likeness. And so we should all be in development 
And we find that we are in development, right, as he says, through his divine power that has given us, that has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So you can only grow in Christ's likeness if you have the knowledge of him and you grow in knowledge of him. Okay? It's connected in this very practical, logical way. And so everybody's got a task that we're working on. Everyone's got a task that we're, that we're growing in faith. And then he lists out some characteristics that we should work on. And we all need to work on these because no one has achieved this standard of God's excellence. Okay? So here is the list. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. You see, what, what Peter tells us here is that as we know God, as we come into relationship with Jesus, we should be growing in our understanding of God's glory. We should be growing in our understanding of his excellence, his standard of excellence. But then we should be growing in Christian maturity where we are adding virtue. We are adding knowledge. We are adding self-control. We are adding steadfastness, which is also patience. Uh, we are adding godliness. We are adding brotherly affection. We are adding love. This is a list of things that we can grow in. And we should be able to use this as a rubric to look around at one another and say, hey, the Lord wants to grow you in this area. Maybe you need to grow in knowledge. Maybe you need to grow in steadfastness. Maybe you need to grow in godliness. Maybe you need to grow in love. But Peter says these are the characteristics that he wants to remind his people of. Right? I intend always to remind you of these qualities. He, he's not saying, well, I'm going to give you the list one time. But he says it's so important that we grow in sanctification, that we grow in our knowledge of God, that I'm going to, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them, he's like, I get it. You don't have to say we already know these things. He says, I know you're going to say that. I'm going to keep telling you. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Because what he wants to get at here is that we need to develop a muscle memory, if you will, for the gospel, understanding what the gospel is and how it works in our lives, and a muscle memory for how then we live as a result of that in the process of sanctification, how we act, interact with God, and how we interact with one another. We have to develop this muscle memory. He understands that this is a process. This is why he keeps reminding us. We've got to repeat the same thing again and 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 again. And you keep going, keep going, keep going until that second nature becomes primary. Until you don't have to think about it anymore. So that way when you go through the storms of life, when there are issues, you're not wondering if you're going to make it. That way, when you go to work and you go into your yearly review and you're criticized and you don't think that it's fair, the criticism that you're given or the review that you're given, you think it's unfair, 
that you know how to handle that situation with the truth of the gospel. When you deal with unexpected hardships, when you deal with hardships that come your way that perhaps you're anticipating, you still know how to wrestle those things out with God in the truth of the gospel. There's a tendency for us to like to, to go our own way, to respond emotionally, but the, but the gospel says that we should respond by bringing our worries and our anxieties and our fears to God. We should respond with the truth of the gospel again and again. This is why Peter reminds them, I know that you're established in these things, but you need to work on this muscle memory. Peter uses this word established uh, several places. Later in the book, he also uses it in chapter 5. It's the same idea as being strengthened. In chapter 5, verse 10, or excuse me, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, he says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ himself, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's this idea that you are rooted firm. And he says here that his goal is that we ought to be Christians who are rooted firmly in the truth of the gospel. That we know how to handle it rightly. That we know that Jesus is enough for us. That he's all that we will ever need. That when all else fails, he will never fail. We have everything that we need in Christ. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you. He's speaking there of the incarnation. Because of the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you. He's also speaking there of the work of Christ, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now here's the radical thing, what he's getting at here. He says, you have heard the truth of the gospel. This is exactly what you need. You're complete in Christ. And you heard this, right? It's it's in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. What he says here is that it is powerful and effective from day one. It doesn't lose power. It's the same truth that you've heard from the moment you have believed the gospel, that you moment that you confessed that Christ has saved you, that you need his work. It's the same power. It doesn't diminish in power. It's the same work. It's the same effectiveness. It's effective 100% right away. There's no like, well, let's see how it goes. Once you believe on, in, the, in the gospel, let's see how it goes and let's kind of like, we'll, we'll test it and see if it works. No, it just goes full power right away. Full power right away.
They don't need to be taught this again because they have the full power right away. And Peter says, I want you to remember this. It's important that you remember this. He continues in verse 13, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Again, here he goes with the reminders again. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Peter says, because of what's at stake, because like I know my time is short, because I'm going to uh, die soon, he knew that the right thing to do is to keep reminding people of the truth of the gospel. He's like, I'm, just, I, I'm a broken record. I've got the same, same song, same thing I'm saying all the time. As long as I'm in this body, I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. Now, this is the point here, right? Because we tend to get into a rut where we do the work, but we do it with the wrong motive or the wrong attitude. So maybe you're the person who's saying like, okay, well, like I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm supposed to go through the emotions and I'm supposed to offer something to this person who's going through a hard time or I'm supposed to share the truth of the gospel. But what he says here is not that you should just share the gospel, but that it should be done in a way that provokes, that stirs it up, that brings up something new that brings things that were at the bottom to the top, right? It's not something to just lay on top and it's like, okay, well, it keeps sinking down. But rather, our sharing of the gospel should bring about a fresh look in people's lives. They should be forced to consider that they need to think about how they're living in a different way or they need to think about how they're responding to their condemnation of sin. Maybe they're feeling terrible about sins they've committed or sins uh, you know, that have come about through things they've not honored God in correctly. Maybe those things need to be brought to the service through the truth of the gospel. Maybe they're feeling condemned themselves and maybe we need to stir up the pot in a new way to remind them freshly of God's love. But it's not meant to be something that's delivered with no power. It's not meant to be something that's also just given, you know, without any thought to it. Like, oh, here, I'm supposed to be doing like this. So, like, here you go. Here's a Bible verse. Here's... It's meant for you to engage and to say, here's what's going on in your life. What's going on in your life? Let's, let's shake it up. So, Paul's attitude is one of urgency, constancy, reminders. Reminders. He intends to stir you up by way of reminder. He's like, we got to make this so it's agitating. Right? That's how, that's how things uh, shake forth the debris, how they become more pure. As it's agitated, the debris comes out. And the idea here is that Paul's like, when we share the gospel, it should be done in such a way. When we, sh when we minister to one another, it should be done in such a way where it brings about sanctification. Sparks should be flying. Now, of course, here's what you need to know. It doesn't mean you should be huge jerks to each other because it also needs to be done with the right attitude. But it does mean that you shouldn't be lazy. It does mean that as the people who are hearers, that you should be upset when someone's saying like, hey, here's what's going on in your life. Like, 
I think you should work on this, or like, hey, tell me about what you need, you think you need to change in your life. And it, it doesn't it doesn't leave a place for us to be upset at this process either. So you shouldn't be excited about the opportunity to like come and crush people and be like, yeah, I'm gonna get them with the gospel. But you also shouldn't be mad if people are coming to get you with the gospel. Like everybody, everybody's convicted here. You got to be open to receiving. You got to be open to giving. And even if somebody does it wrong, you still have to be open to receiving because that's what Jesus would do. Right? It's an opportunity for grace. It's an opportunity for us to show that even though we weren't loved correctly, maybe someone does come in too hot. Maybe they do come in too hard. Love covers that multitude of sin. Jesus wouldn't have been all upset. He wouldn't have been all angry and all hot about that. If someone does it wrong, But we should come to a place where we are provoking each other to prioritize the truth of the gospel in our lives, to respond to Jesus fresh and new. Peter continues in verse 15, And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, it's so important to him that this continue, that he's saying even though I might be gone, even though I might come to a place in life where I won't be able to communicate this to you, I'm going to make every effort, every opportunity for these things to be passed on to you. Why does he care about these things so much? Well, if you go a couple of verses earlier in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, he tells us, here's the result of having these qualities. He tells us what qualities we should have. But then he says, for if these qualities are yours, if you do these things, if you're in the process of sanctification, if they're yours and increasing, right? He doesn't leave a place for stagnation. He doesn't leave a place for us to say, well, I did one. They are yours and increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The inverse of which is that if you don't pursue these things, that you will be unfruitful and ineffective. You will be unfruitful and ineffective. Now, it sounds like, okay, well, like, I'm, I'm not really doing anything great. No, like, I'll, I'll just kind of be like the Christian who sits on the sidelines or somebody there. I would remind you of Jesus' own words in John 15, where he says, if a branch does not bear fruit, it will be cut off and thrown into the fire. And so there are uh, some thoughts here from Jesus that the expectation is that those who are connected to him and respond to who he is, that they bear fruit. That there's not an option for the Christian to not bear fruit. You have to be in the process of sanctification and growing, being fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 9 of 2 Peter 1, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. For Peter, he knows that the standard, without this standard of God's glory, he, he knows without this standard of God's glory in obedience, in this call to Christian maturity, 
we will be absolutely ineffective and unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say that if we do not properly know him, if we're not properly connected to him, we're not going to bear fruit. We're not going to grow in faith. If we don't know him, then we can't know his power, his authority. We can't bear fruit that we will be apart from him. And so his emphasis is for Christians to go through life in such a way that they are always returning with joyful attitudes, with excitement each morning to Christianity 101. When you show up, you see all your friends looking across the room. Everybody's in there. And you're like, yes, it's going to be awesome. We're going to learn and relearn so much of the same stuff today so that we might go out into the world and practice it again tomorrow, so that we might see Jesus and treasure him more deeply, that we might understand how we can be more faithful. It's not just Peter's job, but it's our job to remind you, to remind each other of these qualities. Though you know them, look, we get it. You heard this story before. I mean, if you've been at our church for any amount of time, like, you know, like, we just got the same sermon, like, on repeat, right? It's just like, this is just how it is. Like, there might be, like, different characters in the story, but, like, the same message is coming every week. You know where it's going. Because we don't have another story to tell. There's no power in other things. Jesus and Jesus alone, this is the only story we have. It's his work, his righteousness on our behalf. We want to be established in the truth that has been handed to us, that has been given to us. So that when the storms of life come, our muscle memory is good. And we're able to say, oh, here comes another one. I know where to go. When we're tempted to grumble, grumble and complain, when we're tempted to be upset about something that we deem to be unfair or unjust, but we can say, I know where to go. I can go to the God who sees, the God who has been tempted in all points, in every way, yet without sin. I can come and find my refuge in him. The God who sees the end from the beginning, the first and the last, I can find my refuge in Jesus. He will sustain me. He will meet every need that I have, every, every shortcoming that I have. I don't have to do anything. I just have to trust in him. To believe that he paid for my sin because I couldn't pay for my own. My works, my efforts were not enough. And so we remind ourselves, we preach the gospel to ourselves, we remind each other 
We run to the cross where there's life, where there's peace, and where Jesus reconciled man with God. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful We're thankful for your kindness and your pursuit of us. That you came after us when we were far from you. Lord, when we, especially this group of people here this morning, we were not even alive. But yet, as you were on the cross, your scriptures tell us that there was joy set before you. Lord, we understand that you were there paying for our sin, yet thinking of us in those moments, of every face here, knowing that we wouldn't be enough, but yet your work would cover our sin if we trust in you. We need that every day. We need to be reminded of your kindness and your love. We need to be reminded of how generous you are. And so, Lord, remind us of the truth of the gospel every day. Remind us of your loving kindness and help us to serve one another faithfully in the process of sanctification. To serve one another faithfully in helping us draw near to Christ. And Lord, we want you to be glorified in your church. And so fill us by your Holy Spirit. Call us to do that work of Reminding each other of these qualities. To be people who are stirring each other up by way of reminder. So that we might know you more, that we might treasure you more deeply. When we want to hear the truth of the gospel, we want to respond to your work. And so, Lord, call us to respond now as, as we've heard what you have done for us. We want to respond in praise and worship and thanksgiving. We want to respond to who you are. We love you. Amen.